it can sometimes feel like having a niche might put you in a box or limit your creativity as a food blogger. But what if it was the key to opening up a flood of ideas and opportunities for your business? In today's episode, I'm chatting with a food blogger who accidentally fell into a very micro niche that has led to selling thousands of cookbooks and led to millions of people making her very specialized recipes. Hey friend, I'm Madison Wetherill, a web designer and branding strategist for food bloggers and your host for the Vine podcast. This show is all about supporting you as a food blogger as you grow your business. I'll share tips for designing your business and your website with intention so that you can build a blog that fits into your life, not consumes it. You'll hear tips for connecting with your audience, growing your blog, and tips for managing and designing your website, all in short, easy to consume and actionable episodes. If you're ready to think differently about the strategies and tactics that you need to grow your food blog, you are in the right place. I'm so excited that you're here, friend. Let's get started. Hey, food bloggers. Welcome back to another episode of the Vine podcast. I am so excited that you are tuning in to today's episode. This episode was just so much fun to record. It went on a little bit longer than I typically allot for our interview episodes, but it was just so fun to talk to this client and I cannot wait to introduce you guys to her. But first, I always like to just say hello to any listeners who might be brand new to the podcast and maybe you are checking out this story because you want to hear from another food blogger and learn from her experience. Or maybe you had a friend who shared this podcast episode with you. Whatever it is that brought you to the show today, thank you so much for listening in today. And to my regular listeners, of course, I always love to say thank you for listening as well. My name is Madison Wetherill and I am the founder and CEO of Grace and Vine Studios. Over there, we specialize in creating custom websites and brands for food bloggers who are looking to take their business to the next level and who are really looking to bring their website and their brand up to speed to the caliber of business that they have built over the years. So as always, if you are ever interested in just seeing how we work with clients and how we could support you in leveling up your food blog, you can head over to graceandvinestudios.com and you can click on the services tab to learn more about the different offers that we have, what our availability is for the upcoming quarter, and what the pricing looks like and all of that information. Okay, I'm so excited to introduce today's guest, which again, we love to share our clients' stories because our clients just have so much expertise that they can share with you guys about their journey as a food blogger. And I also really like to peel back the curtain on what it looks like to work with us from our clients' perspectives. Each of them always shares something different that they enjoyed about the experience or even a challenge that they might have had through the experience, which I know can help you guys who are considering working with either us or another web designer to redesign your website. And so I really love to just be able to share these stories. So today my guest is Allie Doran from Miss Allie's Kitchen, and she is a best-selling cookbook, author, TV personality, and the creator of Miss Allie's Kitchen, a food blog dedicated to creating approachable and elevated wild game and comfort food meals. Allie is a proud wife and mom, and she lives in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. You guys are going to fall in love with Allie and her story. She is so open and candid about what her blogging journey has been like, the things that she has learned along the way, and she gives some really actionable and tangible tips for you guys when it comes to talking about her niche, how she decided to invest in her business, and just in general, her approach to running her food blog like a business first over a hobby or just being a food blog is really inspiring, and I hope that you guys will take away so much from this interview. So let's jump over to my conversation with Allie. Hey, Allie, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you today, and I would love for you to start us off by just sharing a little bit about your blogging journey so far, so readers or listeners, I mean, have a little bit of an idea of kind of what your journey has been like. Hi, Madison. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, so I started my blog, Miss Allie's Kitchen, in the summer of 2016. I quickly fell in love with recipe development and food photography, and in 2017, I was actually, I got... Call it like a little gig. (laughs) It was basically working on an allrecipes.com type website, handling all the recipe development for them. So I was able to leave my corporate position in commercial real estate. So I was full time, not even a year later. So I really dove deep into recipe development and food photography. So Miss Alley's Kitchen was always kind of the partner, I guess, to what I was doing with recipe development and 
food photography. And just kind of as I went along, I always had clients for recipe development, food photography, maybe some post writing, copywriting, things like that. And I supported other bloggers. I did this website I was as I was speaking about. And just as I moved along, I just started like slowly dropping clients. And now I'm at a point where I focus on my brand, Miss Ellie's Kitchen. I am a cookbook author. I released my first cookbook in September of 2020. And I released my cookbook after I really started niching down and focusing on wild game content. Um, my husband's a big hunter. And I just genuinely kind of fell and you and I have talked about this before but I kind of fell into this topic of wild game but making it approachable for kind of the every girl making it a little bit more elevated than what is out there some resources that you might find on Pinterest and Google they were a little outdated so that's what I focus on that's what my cookbook's on and I've gone on to do a lot of really fun things I cook for hunting retreats I've been on some tv shows it's just been a really wild and fun ride so (laughs) that was a little all over the place but yeah, I'm very grateful to do what I do. Yeah, it's so awesome to hear you like explain that. And I always kind of forget about the the part of your journey where you were doing a lot of client work and then kind of yeah. shifted. So what was that shift like for you as you kind of moved into focusing more on your brand? And like what ultimately pulled you towards being like, I'm going to focus more on my brand than like client work? Was it that the income supported that or was it just like a conscious decision to do that? You know, it was both, um, but it was very income driven. I've always been someone though, I started, I'm very transparent. I started Miss Ellie's Kitchen as a business. I wanted to, I have a daughter now, she's two. I started my website after I met my husband. It was before we were married, but it was very much in the line of like in five years, in maybe 10 years, if we have kids, I, I just really want to have the flexibility of working for myself. So I really tried to structure Miss Allie's Kitchen as something that always had multiple income streams. I come from an entrepreneurial family and I am a creative, but having that business mentality, you know, I just felt like it was, it behooved me to work with sponsored relationships, have ad revenue and then clients, because I always felt like if one dropped, I never wanted to feel like I was like, oh my gosh, you know, how are we going to do this? Because I think that fight or flight fear mentality is not necessarily super healthy and doesn't really put you in the best position to conduct business. So that being said, I still do client work. I really love it. And I think it takes a little bit of the pressure off of Miss Ellie's Kitchen as a brand, but I do a lot less of it. So what that looked like, you know, as you probably know, as a site ages, as it gets older, as you get better at SEO, as your content becomes more targeted, my ad revenue just started going up and up and up. And the partnerships that I was able to sustain were at a different level due to the metrics climbing. I've never had gigantic social presence, but my website has just slowly grown with a lot of attention. I've always been very diligent. Even when I slow down my post schedule, it's still a consistent day, a consistent time. You know, people know when they can expect content from me. So there's never been a period where I've really taken a break from the blog. So that's just been a consistent work. And I've worked with you, I've worked with SEO strategists. It's always been, and it is still the goal to have ad revenue and that focus be the driving force force behind the brand just because that's the part that I like the most. I mean, I love creating recipes. So yeah, it's kind of a two-sided thing. So I just started phasing out clients when I felt like some of my client work, especially representing other bloggers, was taking away from my efforts at Miss Ellie's Kitchen. Yeah, for sure. And I think with having your daughter too, I'm sure the timing of that factored in as well because as we both know, like when you have kids, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't have that much time anymore. And your priorities just shift. And so I think it makes total sense that you kind of shifted that. But I think your mentality of like having that diversified income is so important. And, Mm -hmm. And I'll say, and you can touch on this a little bit too, but knowing your brand, I know that there's like a really big seasonal aspect to your brand yes. as well, which factors into the ad revenue side of things as well. So do you want to touch on that a little bit? Cause I feel like a lot of bloggers can relate to that too. A lot of people can relate to it and it might come as a surprise to you. My, you know, I'm with Mediavine. My first year with Mediavine, I was like, I think I applied in January, right when I hit that benchmark, when I applied, it was, you had to have a hundred thousand sessions, I think it was, or was it, I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, it's 50,000 sessions now. So it was probably back when it was still 20,000 or 30,000. I was 100 for some reason. Yeah, I'm not sure. But anyway, when I applied, you know, I was like, wow, this is great. This is amazing. And then I hit April. I was like, what happened? You know, I thought I was doing well with this. And it really 
drops. And I am so seasonal now because my big content, my, my top content pieces never go off my top 10, really. And they are venison stew, venison roast, you know, venison meatballs. So it's like real hearty comfort food that goes. And for people that aren't familiar with hunting or hunting season, it's generally in the fall. So I hit fall hunting season and then I hit the holidays. So we'll do like a quadruple of what we do in the spring. So it's just about planning that out and knowing, you know, it's basically retail and, you know, it's about planning your income out and maybe just looking at it as like more of a year long picture. And then maybe in the other months, where do you need to supplement? Where do you need to maybe pull back a little bit on expense? It's just, you know, management wise, but it it definitely fluctuates a lot for me within the year. But by the time I hit the end of August and September, we're like doubling, tripling, just really rolling. Yeah. So in those off seasons, do you take on like more client work? Because I would assume you're you can't really take on more sponsored work because it's the same type of content. So there's still not really that available to you. But do you like try to pad your income during that time? Or have you just figured out a system that like, you just, you know, know, like, I'm gonna make this every year. And so I'm gonna divide that by 12 instead of thinking of it as like a monthly income type of thing. It's a little bit of both. Um, I have a really good understanding and projections. So I work off of that. Um, I make sure that I'm very careful because I do have a team now. So I would like, you know, they're my priority and making sure my family is taken care of as my priority. But I, I feel like in June every year, I wind up getting like some larger client deal. A lot of people are trying to prepare over the summer for what they have coming up in like end of Q3 and Q4. So that's what I did this year. I took on a lot of client work. It's a food brand and they are doing a complete new product launch. So it was an extensive contract. And so I do like to supplement. My husband and I have launched a course before. He's done like an introduction to archery hunting course. So we've done that. And then last year I was doing cooking classes to supplement paid cooking classes online via Zoom. It did really well in the beginning of the pandemic. And then, and I was actually doing them for free. It was just kind of like a you know, you want to sign on. And then I did them within another network and it it was okay. I just really enjoyed it, but I think I need to play around with the interface kind of, and like the way it's conducted. It was not the most profitable thing that I've ever done. And I do have a book, as I mentioned, it's taken me, it took me about a year and a half to earn back my advance. And for people that aren't familiar with the publishing industry, you're typically given an advance and then you're given a royalty percentage. So you make a percentage off the sale of the book, but you have to pay back your advance before you earn royalty. So it took me about a year and a half to do that. So now I have supplemental income coming twice a year from book sales as well. So there's a Again, a lot of different revenue streams. I like to work a little bit more long-term with clients when I do. That's definitely shifted since the pandemic. I don't know if you've noticed that. I used to do like six-month-long partnerships and now things definitely still feel a little different. But um, yeah. Yeah. I just, I wanted to touch on that because I feel like that is something that a lot of food bloggers just are curious about. And I think you've taken a lot of, you know, some of the things that might seem challenging about like having a full-time food blog, like the income being variable and there being this seasonality because everyone has a little bit of that, but I think for you, it's, it's just a very extreme seasonality. And so, yeah. And I just, so I wanted to just like, let you kind of share about that because I think food bloggers will learn a lot from that too. So what we wanted to like kind of focus on, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier, is I really would love for you to be able to share a little bit about how you kind of fell into this like accidental niche. And we talked about when we worked on your website that you, or you had come up with this phrase, the accidental hunter's wife, which I think is such a fun like way to describe you and your brand. And like I said, in a lot of ways, like your you've kind of fell accidentally into this niche too. And so I would love for you to share like about that journey for you because you alluded to it a little bit, but like, let's just unpack a little bit. Like what was your niche maybe when you started or lack of niche? And then like, how did this like progress to now you are like very, you know, you're 100% in with this niche and confident about it. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I've always really have heard the importance of a niche, right? Like when you get into this and you're trying to make this a viable business, unless you come into this with a large following, I think it's really, really hard to start out and be like, I'm just going to be a lifestyle blogger. I'm going to be, I want it to be a healthy food blogger, which is awesome. That's great. I'm really into health and wellness. 
And then I, but I just was like, okay, I have, you know, maybe 400 Instagram followers. How the heck do I get people to notice me? And a really good way to get noticed is by niching down. And I think a lot of people know that even people that aren't in the industry, but, and my best piece of advice is just to start. Even if you get it wrong, I think people are so worried about getting your niche wrong. I was 24, 24 years old, no children. My husband was working He had like an hour and a half to two hour commute each way every day. And I got off work at like 4.30. So I would literally work all day, get off work at 4.30, go to the gym for like an hour, an hour and a half, and then come home and have like three hours to cook dinner. So my niche, trying to do quick meals for busy moms. And I'll never forget, I was in like a little mastermind group and I'm like talking about my niche and I'm like, I just love to show moms how easy it can be to make everything from scratch. And a girlfriend of mine, she had two kids at the time and she was like, I mean this to no offense. Your recipes are incredible. She was like, girl, we will laugh at you. Like no one is going to take advice from a 24 year old with three hours to cook dinner at night who's insisting that like scratch made everything is wonderful. She was like, absolutely not. Like, Absolutely. And I was just like, duh, like, oh my gosh. So I changed my niche a little bit. I focused on a lot of Whole30, paleo and dairy and grain-free recipes for a while. And that got me somewhere. But as I experimented a lot, I was kind of feeling like the Whole30 community wasn't necessarily where I felt super aligned. I've done a Whole30. I learned a lot. I'm not necessarily some, I don't really have personally any specific food allergies or intolerances. So I just didn't feel like it was a great niche for me. Meanwhile, this is like getting to be 27, 2018. I'm like maybe just over a thousand Instagram followers and trying to get like 5,000 page views a month or something. And I was in a group with other food bloggers, kind of like a business mastermind. And meanwhile, my husband is having a lot of success hunting and we're broke. And he's just bringing home all the meat and it's in the freezer. And like, I laugh when I think about how we used to store it all, but I never grew up eating wild game. So I would just take these like two pound blocks of Venice ground venison, like wrapped in butcher paper and like try to cook with it. The first few attempts were not great. And I kept trying to work with it. And eventually I was like, this is actually really good. I kind of prefer this to beef. So I would write down what I was doing just so I would remember and be able to cook it. And I would publish it and put it on the blog, but I was terrified to talk about it because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get like people coming at me with all these hate comments. And I mad respect vegetarians and vegans. Actually, we probably have a lot more in common than you think um, <laughs> if you're coming from that perspective. But you know, I was just nervous of people like coming at me really. So I would publish the recipes, not email about it, not post about it on social media, but somehow maybe I pinned it on on Pinterest just to see how it would do. And like, it just started going viral without me doing anything. And I'm like, what's going on? These are my best pieces of content. And I never even talked about it. So I go to this um, business mastermind retreat in 2018 and I'm like really frustrated because I feel like I can't grow my brand. I'm really working to refine my photography, but I'm just like feeling like I need, I said to a friend of mine, I feel like I need a Whole30 takeover, but I don't want to do a Whole30 takeover. And I mentioned in passing about this wild game recipe that I had that was like viral on Pinterest. And my friend literally looks at me and goes, dude, that's your Whole30. And I was like, are you serious? So I like really quietly open up about it in the middle of the mastermind. And everybody looks at me and they're like, are you, what are you on? Like, why aren't you talking about this? So I was like, all right, all right, all right. I'll go home and I'll post one wild game recipe a month. So first take, if you want to niche down, if you say, I want my niche to be citrus focused paleo desserts, you don't have to make that every post. I did it once a month. So I post one wild game recipe a month. I think my page views grew 650% in a year. It was it was wild. That was the year that I applied for Mediavine. My ad revenue started to tick up. I started dropping freelance clients. And then by 2019, I released a little ebook. And it sold marginally well. It was like 20 wild game recipes. Um, it was my first crack at like selling something, you know, really marketing something that wasn't a free piece of content. And it did okay, pretty well. Um, it was priced pretty high. What do you remember what you were selling it for? $17.99 for 20 recipes, which is on the higher end, but I'm like, you know what? (laughs) This took me a lot of time. And I was talking with, uh, I do work with a business coach, Nicole and Dan Culver. They're amazing. We met them for so long. And I remember 
Dan, he's one of my business coaches, said to me, why don't you just package this all up, write a little book proposal. I think you should submit this to a publisher. So I submitted to about three publishers and I did hear back from two, which I was shocked. I thought I would never hear back. And um, one turned me down because they did not want like only one type of protein. Generally hunting cookbooks have most of them, even if they focus on a few types, it's all big game. So they've got like bear and deer and maybe like, you know, another large type of game. So maybe wild hog or something. Mine is only venison. There's nothing else out there that is or up until the point that I released. There was nothing else out there like that. So I had a call with my current publisher and they bit right away. It just, it happened really fast. So that was all in 2019. And my book came out right after I had my daughter in 2020, which was actually a little crazy, but it did give me a little bit of a reprieve from blog content, kind of um, promoting that. And the book just went crazy. I mean, I was, it's so niche and so defined that, like I said, there's nothing else really out there. And I think it can, you know, when you, if you're like me and you've dreamed your entire life of having a cookbook, of course you want like a thick coffee table book with like your entire life's worth of like family recipes. I get that. But by going so niche, I was able to get a book deal like that. And we sold out three times uh, in the first four months. And, you know, I got picked up by like large um, sporting retailers like Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops because they saw that like Amazon couldn't keep it in stock. And then it just really snowballed from there. TV appearances, retreat appearances, things like that. Um, So it just, I think a lot of times people can feel like creatively a niche would burn them out. But I found the opposite because, you know, of course, as creators, there's times where we're feeling like, oh. I just don't know if I can put up another blog post, but you've committed to it, right? But by having those parameters, it almost, it's kind of like you're on chopped, right? You're like, okay, I've got these couple ingredients. What can I do with what I have? This makes my point A to point B a lot easier. And like I said, it's not like every single piece of content. Like I love to bake pie. I love to make cocktails. I love to do easy breakfast recipes because I don't like making breakfast. So I still have a lot of space for those things. Um, I try to do at least one or two wild game recipes a month, something that's going to hit really well for SEO. And then I do like one or two things that really light me up or that I know will do really well with my Instagram people or my people on TikTok because they are like, all right, great girl. We know you do venison. And like, can we see some coffee cake or something? You know, throw us a bone here. So that's my experience. And it's been really fun. And I'm very glad that I niched down. I just love hearing that entire journey because there's so many things that you said. I was like writing down your quotes because it's so true that like, because you decided to step into this niche. And to be honest, you were experimenting. Like you hadn't fully said like, this is it forever. You're like, okay, I guess I'll try it for like a little while and see what happens. Yeah. But like you said, now that you've kind of carved this path for yourself and you've really defined this niche for yourself with your readers, now it's like if you want to throw, you know, a random recipe in there, like it's totally fine. But you because you already have the success of the niche that you've carved out and you are known for something. So people know that they can come to you for that. And really what I'm sure is happening is your like loyal fans and like your your biggest fans are the ones who are coming to you and saying like, hey, I love your this recipe. Can you make something like this for me? And so it's like you're not just grasping at straws trying to like make something work on Pinterest. It's like you already have an, an audience who wants certain things from you and who also trusts your recipes at like a completely different level, you know, than they did yes. before. That's a really good point too, coming from a creative um, standpoint. They'll give you what you want too if you like start niching. You know, I'll do last year, it was like, you know, I asked what they wanted for the holidays and overwhelming. We want pasta. We want pasta. We want pasta. And I'm like, oh, I have no venison pasta stuff. So we did venison lasagna and we did venison pasta bake and and we did a venison bolognese. So we updated that one because it was like not so great, really old Um, because they love the meatballs. They were like, we want like more easy pasta stuff that isn't meatballs. I'm like, awesome. So I didn't even have to think about it. That was like my Christmas Eve recipe, Christmas Eve lasagna, you know? So I didn't even have to go through that. And like, you know, yesterday I, well, I'm still working on it because it's not where I want it to be, but people want like, um, it's called venison shank. It's like a portion of the leg below the knee. 
they, I, that's like my number one, like, how do I work with that? And I have one post, but I'm like, let's do it another way. So it's almost like you start doing it. And then people start being like, Oh, help. I don't know what to do. I've got this. So like, let's go back to citrus paleo desserts. They're like, well, I know how to do key lime pie, but can you tell me how to do lemon cream? And you're like, yeah, sure. We'll do lemon cream next month. So it's very, and you know, people know you don't eat only citrus paleo desserts, but that's what they're going to know you for. You're the girl that does oh yeah, you're the citrus. Like I get, oh yeah, you're the venison girl all the time now. And I'm like, oh, it's good. It's good. Yeah. It's, I mean, it means that it's working. And to yeah. your point, like, yeah, people are not going to be like, oh, this is the only thing that she makes. But I find so often when people are trying to ask their audience, like, what do you want to see on the site? It's like, that is such a broad question. Like, I don't, oh. I don't even know what I want for breakfast today. So like, how am I supposed to answer that question? You know? Whereas if you're like, how can I help you make venison? Or like, how can yes. I help you use the meat that's in your freezer from hunting season? They're going to be like, here, X, Y, Z are my problems. Please solve them for me. It's just so much more clear for them to answer that question. And then you're able to take those ideas and go in a hundred different directions because you see the whole picture too. Yes. That's such a good point. And if you ask them, I guarantee you, they'll tell you, I just really need help with easy dinners. And you're like, I have 50 of those on my site. I have 50 of them. They tank. (laughs) They tank. Like, you know what I mean? I'll try to do like an easy sheet pan meal. And I still do it because I like them and I make them. So why not put it on the blog? But I guarantee you that easy sheet pan chicken thigh dinner. Well, actually chicken thighs do well for me. So that might do well. But like if I try to do like a sheet pan sausage dinner, you know, it's going to do like. Or like a healthy chicken breast sheet pan dinner. Like it has to have this like. Nobody's coming to me for chicken breast. (laughs) Exactly. Like, and and again, like within your niche, like if you go, you know, one level like higher, I guess you kind of have like this exotic like theme to your site. And so if if it's not something that's a little bit different, it's not going to work well on your site. But if it's something that's like, that's unique and it has some sort of wild game or just not chicken breast or like ground turkey, yeah. you know, something that is kind of more like plain like Jane. Farm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So you have this kind of like, you know, this bigger bucket that you can kind of grab from every once in a while when you're mm-hmm. feeling like you need a little bit of a like creative inspiration, because I'm sure not only do you guys probably get like a little bit burnt out of eating venison, but For also sure. just like cooking with it in different ways. Like if anyone tried to do like a chicken breast blog, it would probably get really boring really fast, but Hey food bloggers, how would you like to end the year with your best quarter four ever? Every year when quarter four rolls around, you might find yourself scrambling to get ahead and actually enjoy some time away from your business for the holidays. Well, this year I have something that is going to help you prepare for the best quarter of the year. Sizzling Summer Camp is a free challenge to cook up your best quarter four yet. Throughout this challenge, you'll be walked step-by-step through what you need to do to prepare for having a successful quarter to wrap up this year. This is going to be action-packed with everything that you need to know and the steps you need to take to make sure this year ends on a high note. I do not skim the surface at all when it comes to sharing the best tips for making sure your content, your website, and your brand is ready for an exciting quarter. All you need to do to join this completely free challenge is head to graceandvinestudios.com slash summer to sign up. Now, a few of the things that we'll be covering throughout the weeks of this challenge are things like setting your goals for quarter four, making a plan for your content, a DIY website review and audit, raise your RPM and make more money, and a site speed tune-up. These are just some of the things that we'll be covering between the end of July and the beginning of October. We have different ways for you to get accountability throughout this challenge and plenty of reminders to take action so that you will see the results that you're wanting head over to graceandvinestudios.com slash summer to sign up for the free challenge. And you can also find a link in the show notes. Can't wait to see you there. So I want to talk about something that came up when we were on our strategy call when we worked together, because, you know, we've talked a lot about how you have like a lot of ideas and like having your niche has actually helped you to have more ideas. But when we did our call, we talked a lot about like some of the more like how to posts and resource type of posts Mm. that you could do on your site. So tell me what that was like in terms of like that mental shift for you kind of going away from recipes, because I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people lately where they're like, I'm just starting to like dip my toe into like non-recipe content. So let's talk about that. And like, what was your experience like kind of before we had that conversation versus like, what are you doing with that now? Yeah, that was, that was just really eye-opening. I, that was in our first call and I just was really mind blown by everything you were saying, but it was almost like this, like, duh. It, it truly was almost like, oh, this is how I step into being an expert in my niche by providing these resource-based posts. And a lot of your suggestions were like, how to cook venison, 
tools you need in the kitchen to cook venison. Five hacks. What to do if your family won't eat wild game. Like little things that people are probably typing into Google when they're like trying to start out. And that's generally when people need to have my content. So it's just another way for them to A, find me, find out what my brand's about, maybe purchase my book because that's like, you know, in all those content pieces, you know, I'll say like, if you're really ready to up level, you should just probably run to Amazon real quick and grab a $20 copy of my book and then come back here and do this. So it does a few things. I feel like it helps me sell a little bit better, but it helps me step into that like, hey, this is what I know. And I think as creators, like for me, I'm like, wait, post about how to cook venison. I'm like, isn't that easy? Like you just do this, this and this, but we have to be reminded that we are experts. Like not every, it's not so easy for everybody. You know, as food content creators or content creators, generally the thing that you're doing really well, you don't realize how well you're doing it. So by creating content around non-recipe content, showing what an expert you are, you know, you're probably going to really further that. I'm really, I just posted those content pieces like not even a month ago. So they haven't really had a chance to juice up, but I'm really interested to see what those start doing in like October. Because again, as I, as we mentioned, that's when I really start to hit, like people will like bring a deer home and they're like, how do I cook with this? (laughs) So um, yeah, that'll be really cool. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you said like the how to cook venison is like an idea. And I think it would be really easy to be like, well, I have a blog post that's like a venison recipe, but it's different. It's first of all, it's a different search query. It's like, you're not looking for a recipe. You're looking for more of that, like step-by-step that yes, we may include in the recipe, but it's just, it's something different about the way that they're searching for it. And then, like you Mm -hmm. said, it's, it's really elevating your expertise to not just be like, yeah, this girl has one random venison recipe. It's like, no, this is the venison girl. Like she knows what she's talking about. And I think that that is so true regardless of your niche. And I hope that people aren't hearing that and saying like, well, that's easy for her because, you know, she has such a defined niche. But like to your point with the citrus paleo recipes, like what do you know about paleo? Like you know something about like, well, if you're going to replace X with Z, then you have to do this. It's like all of those little things that you know. Or like the best way to juice a lemon. Like what is the best way? Really? Like, is it with a fork? Is it with a citrus press? Is it with a citrus reamer? How do you get the, like, you know, like little things like that, that were like, oh, well, I've been doing it with a fork for like the last 10 years. And I think that's the best yeah. post about it. But you know what? You're so right. Like when they're coming to me for a meatball recipe, they don't really want to read my content, even though there's so much information in there. The the amount of people, I mean, I do have some people, they're on there for five minutes and they read the whole post, but 90% of my readership is just going to click jump to recipe. But when they're coming to me for how to cook venison, they're planning to at least skim the subtitles and then like maybe read some of the posts. So it's a different type of user. Yeah, it really is. And it's, you know, you're probably going to have, like you said, those random, like those new people to your site. And that's how they're going to discover you is through the that how to content, which just already puts them like way further into kind of like their journey with you because they're that much closer to like Mm -hmm. doing the thing you want them to do, whether that's making the recipe or buying a cookbook or whatever, or it's going to be the people who already like know and love you. And they're going to be like, oh, thank you. Like now you just made this like simple for me to have this. Or when they have, you know, like, let's say they have a new friend who like, okay. Cause I know we've talked about this with your experience of like this niche bringing you closer with your husband. So like, let's say your husband goes on a hunting trip and he meets a new friend and then his wife is like, Hey, Allie, like, how do you make this stuff? Like now that person has like a really good intro post that they can share with a friend Exactly. versus like that person's not ready to go and make the meatballs yet. Like they need to like understand all of the background information first they do. or they need to understand like, how do I store this meat? How do I thaw this meat? Like whatever it is. So And everybody has that with their niche, regardless of what it is. Like these are easy examples because it's such a like micro niche, but no matter what your niche is, you have those posts that are like, so like how to start working with almond flour. Yeah. Like how to anything that relates to your brand basically is a great resource post to dive into. And like you've said, like you can test that out, do one a month and see how it goes. Or I always tell people like test that out on social media, see how people like it, do a reel about it, do a post about it, do something, do just an email that doesn't have like a link to go to a recipe. Like just make it a smaller piece of content that is more digestible and see how people like it. And, you know, it's, there's so much experimenting. And even for you with having such a defined niche and such, you know, a like, 
I think people would look at your journey and say like, oh, well, she's way further ahead than I am, but you're still experimenting. You're still figuring things out. I'm still experimenting. I'm still experimenting. And I will say my blog readers are different than my social readers. So depending on what your goals are, you can adjust accordingly. Like my Instagram people are the ones that come to me and they're like, we want easy meals and mom hacks. And I'm like, cool, I'll give you that. And they do pretty well on Instagram, right? Put them on the blog. It's like... In comparison, the amount of money that Instagram makes me towards my Mediavine ad. So like, you know, you you have to appease those people and have those engagement drivers, like maybe to keep your brand. It just depends on what your focus is. So I guess the first piece would be like, what do you want to do? Like, because some people, you know, I was just at a press trip. Yeah, it was just last week. And, you know, I was with a lot of people that are really loving like social media and Instagram and brand relationships. And that's great. So then go for what those people are going for. For me still in this point right now, my website is my primary focus, especially since we just did a whole rebrand. Like I really want to go in on that. But that's just me. So depending on your goals, like do a little audit. You know, what's, what's, what are they, what's blowing their skirt up? Like, And it might be different and you might have to play that a little bit of a game like I do, but nothing's married. Like nothing, no one's going to say like, you can't change. There's nothing that you can't change. I might wake up in two years and say, I'm so sick of venison. I'm going to talk about tomatoes and zucchini for a while. And that's fine. Yeah. I love it. All right. So you just mentioned the website redesign and that's something that I wanted to dig into just a little bit as we kind of like wrap up the episode, because we've seen that listeners are really liking these episodes, just hearing from our clients. I think more just because it's so fun to hear food bloggers journeys and what's worked for them and all of that. But I also think it's just been a really good opportunity for you guys to be able to share what it's really like, because obviously until you redesign your website, you don't know what it's like to redesign your website. And so I would love for you to start, like, how did you used to handle your website stuff? Because, you know, you mentioned you started your blog in 2017. It's now 2022. So in the last five years, how are you handling that? What were you doing? And yeah, just kind of paint that picture for us. I did everything myself. So this was my first rebrand and technology is not my strong point. I honestly kind of like forget what I had done because it was like genuinely like one tab open on YouTube and the other one on WordPress and me just like Googling my old like layout and theme. I was just like a Genesis theme. And I remember I was going to Expo East in 2018, which for anybody who's unfamiliar, it's basically like a big food brand conference and um, you can go as an influencer um or press and I was like I, I forget the old layout of the blog it like wasn't working and it was funny and I was leaving in like a week and a half and I'm like I cannot go I cannot walk into this and have this website so I had I have had logos done before and brand colors so like a sort of a mini brand kit which I felt like at the time served me I definitely spent conservatively where the Miss Ellie's Kitchen brand was concerned and chose to outsource with like employment support before I really dove into the website and like branding and things like that, which that's not maybe the necessarily the right way to go about it. It Do you mean like virtual assistants, like writers, like that type of stuff? Yes. I have an operations person. And then uh, every once in a while, I have relied on somebody to help me with food photography. I still develop all my recipes and things like that. And then I have someone helping me with security and just like backups and that kind of fun stuff. But... Yeah, I just, it was like 2018 and I'm like, this is not going to fly. So I I did it myself. I've been marginally happy. You know, back in the day, I really, before I had my daughter, I really tried to keep up with like what was working. So I was an early adapter of the Tasty Recipes plugin for recipes, which I think that was probably like very crucial. And I was really, really, I've always been really diligent about using the Yoast plugin um, for SEO. So that definitely really helped me. And I just chose something that was like really, really, really basic because I'm like, I don't want anything crazy because I know it's not great. But what I started to run into was the book started selling like hotcakes. There wasn't even a spot on my homepage for it because I couldn't really figure out how to like aesthetically get it in there. I'm on TV. I have a jewelry line and like I've got my neighbor walking by the house and she's like, your website's so cute. And I, and she's like, do people make the recipes? And I'm like, yeah, like millions of people a year. And I'm like, okay, this is like where the rubber meets the road. You know, this is a full-fledged business. We've got employees. Like we're sustaining my family on this. Like this is not a cute little website. It's time. It's, this is time. <laughs> so this has been a goal of mine to have the website redone for, I mean, about three years. It just took me a bit to get there. As you know, it's a big decision. And um, 
I've known when I found you, I'm like, oh, we're working together. So whatever it takes, you know, whatever clients I have to bring on and make it work, I'm making it work. Um, I think it's definitely as a food person, it's really important to find somebody that not only that you drive with, but that knows what they're doing in the food space. You know, if you talk about a website redesign, you'll have wonderful friends that are in like the PR industry. They're like, oh, I can get you set up with a designer. Like it'll be easy. And I'm like, it's a different breed. Our sites are a different breed and they need somebody that knows what they're doing not just SEO wise, but like use wise, it's a totally different animal than even a fashion blog. Like it's, it's just different. So, um, that was really the catalyst for me for having a lot of people being like, your site's so cute. Or like, I don't know how to get your cookbook off your website. And I would embed it in like all my blog posts, but it's not on the homepage and like the sidebar wasn't right. And just a whole slew of things. So that's, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I totally, totally get it. And I think you're right that it's one of those things that often, I mean, I'm surprised how often people actually find us and like are ready to book right away. But most of the time it is more of a situation like yours where it's like, this is who I'm going to work with, but I need to like get all my ducks in a row and be ready for that, which usually has to do with, you know, saving up the money because it is a big investment, but also timing it right, which was something for you with having the seasonality. Like it's not something you would want to work on in the fall because not just because you're traffic, but also just you're busy during that time with social media promotion and, you know, book sales and all that stuff. So it had to be timed well with like the off season for you. So yeah, I mean, you you definitely covered the question I was going to ask next, which is like what showed you it was the right time to invest. And I think it's often for people, it's one of two things. Either it's like things are so broken, I can't even fix them. Or it's like my mm. brand has just elevated and I have this cute little website that yes. doesn't match like the elevated brand that I have. Because like you said, yeah. you, you were an established cookbook author. You were on TV. Like you had all of these people that were finding you in this very professional environment. And, you know, to be honest, your site wasn't like horrific at all. I mean, I've, I've definitely seen worse, but, you know, for you to not have that flexibility to highlight what you wanted to. And I, I'm pretty sure, yeah, I mean, you just had kind of like your latest recipe feed. That was pretty much all it was. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really this like dynamic user experience on the site. So absolutely. So I, you know, I mentioned that and we just launched your site like two weeks ago as we we're recording this. When this episode actually comes out, I will have been a couple months, but so far, you know, what has the feedback been from your audience specifically? Because, you know, we don't have like a lot of metrics to go off of right now, but I know you've had some really cool things that people have shared and I would love to hear what the impact has been for your readers kind of right off the bat. Yeah. So the first, the first really surprising thing was like a lot of times I feel like when you talk about more of the business side of your brand, most of your audience is just like totally glazed over, right? They're like, okay, yeah, whatever. And you're like blogging friends or they're like, yeah, woohoo. I was really surprised when I announced that we were doing a rebrand. It like the post did well. I was like flooded with DMs. I'm like, wow, people are pumped about this. Like again, whoops, like maybe I should have done this a year and a half ago. And then we launched and that day I was just, I mean, I had at least five messages that day of audience members that were like, this is so easy to use. And then I specifically had one reader come to me and she was like, Oh my God, it was so easy to find your lasagna recipe. I usually have to save your posts in a note so I can find them later. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's so embarrassing. Like she I mean, and the fact that she took the time to copy and paste the URL links just so she could find them later. I'm like, that is a great reader. Like, but they're not all like that. So how many people were was I not retaining because they're like, Oh, I found this really good venison lasagna recipe on Pinterest, but like I forgot to pin it. And like, I know it was this girl, but like, I can't find that. So she was just like, I just wanted to let you know how easy it was to find exactly what I was looking for. And then I even found other things that I flagged to make later. And I was like, Oh, that's what we need. That's what I want. And I think all of us at this point in the game, and if you're not, maybe you should, you know, honestly, review your priorities, but like, it's about the readers, you know, they are the driving force behind our brand. They're the reason we can do what we can do. They're amazing people. If you give them the opportunity to like really tell you what they want and you communicate with them and you spend time engaging with them, like you want to create something for them that they feel like, wow, she made this for me. And like we did, you and I sat there and we made that for them. And the fact that they're able to like find what they're looking for and 
a lot of them are busy moms. Like we are, they don't have time. I'm like, girl, you don't have time to have a note with your, my recipes copied and pasted in your phone. Like you should just be able to go to my website, type in what you're looking for, what you have in the freezer. And then everything you need pops up and that's what it's doing now. And that's what they Yeah. Want. I love hearing that because it's like you said, it's, it's about the reader. And what's really funny though, is oftentimes when people redesign, then they also realize like it's so much easier for them to use because we use our own sites all the time. Every single day we're going to our own site to find something and we just get so used to whatever it is that is kind of a hindrance when it comes to user experience. We get used to it. We figure out the workarounds or we're looking at it on the back end. So it's kind of a cheater way to like get to what you're looking for, but we know exactly. Or you know the exact URL and you just type that in. So it's, it's really, you know what, a good way I thought to look at it too. And to maybe, you know, not necessarily justify, but to a good friend of mine, she owns a yoga studio. She's a wonderful businesswoman. She's had a really wonderful career in branding and marketing. And now she owns a yoga studio locally. And we were talking about my web redesign and she was, and she's building a new studio. And she's like, you're, you're renovating your storefront, right? She's like, you are bringing someone in and you are completely giving your store a, a facelift. Cause I'm like, that's a great way to look at it. It's like, yes, it's an investment, but like if you have a shop and you're like, well, I know where all of my art supplies are and my, I have no idea what kind of store, <clears throat> my craft supply. So I know where all the paints are, but like somebody walking in, they might not know where to find the acrylic paints. This is the same thing. And it's just like, you need to bring an outside party. And sometimes like, I didn't even realize the way the search function was up was like not even working right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's really like a complete renovation. Yes. And when you're focused on creating your content, as you should be, mm-hmm. it's really easy to to not notice those things and to let them kind of pile up. And it just becomes one of those things that over time, you don't even realize how much of it is not. It's not even that it wasn't functional. It just wasn't functioning at the level that it should be for your brand and for your readers. So I love hearing that. I love that your readers were excited about it and that you took the time to share about it and also to share with them, like, here's how you find stuff. Like, I know you had a, I think it was maybe on TikTok that you had it, or maybe it was both that and Instagram, but you had a video of like, here's how you use the recipe index, which is another. Oh, we have several. Yes. Yeah. It's such an important thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Because again, even, even in this new website experience, you've been looking at it for six weeks or at least a month before it's live. So you kind of have an idea of like where to go and how to find things and you've used it for your readers. It's yes, it's a new, beautiful experience for them, but it's still overwhelming when it's a brand new site to them and they don't know how to use it. So explaining those little things because, you know, recipe index is a great example of something that in the food blogging world, we throw around that word all the time, but like to our readers, they're like, what the heck's a recipe index? I don't even know what that is. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so being able to show them, here's how you use it. Here's what its purpose is. Like, it's so important to do that. Was there anything that you, as I feel like you kind of already touched on your favorite part, but was there anything that was a challenge for you during the redesign process that surprised you or something that surprised you throughout the process? That's a really good question. Not too much. I had a really good idea of what it was going to be like. I've had a lot of friends go through re, uh, through rebrands, and I know several of your other clients pretty personally, so I knew basically what I was getting into. I think the biggest surprise to me was just like how many ideas you had for non-recipe content pieces, and I just like quickly went to work on those. That's just the kind of type of person I am. I'm like, oh, I see an idea. It's incredible to capitalize on this. I'm just going to like run for it. So I guess that was just pleasantly surprising to me how many ideas you had really outside of the recipe wheel. So yeah, yeah, that's it. Nothing really jumped out at me. I was aware that it was going to be a time commitment, which is why I chose this time of year. Like you said, I'm not going to be doing that in September, October, because we're just like cranking at that point. So yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's my, one of my favorite parts. It's not even like an official, like what's included in the package. It's just something that just, I I can't help it. It just happens. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's what I think makes you so unique and good at what you do because I, I know you just were sitting there and like spitballing and I'm literally like writing it down, which I didn't need to. You sent everything (laughs) to me, which was so seamless. I guess I was also just very impressed with the seamless. Like I truly felt like I got to show up and just like I didn't have to remember anything. Like I just got to show up and work from like what you guys had based on your infrastructure, which was such a breath of fresh air because like I'm used to kind of being, I'm used to hosting the client, not being the client. So for me, it was like, oh, okay, this is wonderful. I can just show up and do what I'm supposed to do and then let you guys take care of the rest. 
Yeah. And I mean, that's how it should be. It really, you know, you're investing in this and there's already enough of an investment, both of time and like the financial investment from you. So for you to be able to just like show up and do the work that you're being asked to do, like it's already enough of a process for you. We don't want it to be one of those things that's like overwhelming and stressful and, you know, any more than it has to be because it's, it's a lot of a process already. So if we can take any of that off of you, I'm really glad that you felt that way. Yes. Okay. Is there anything that you would like to share as kind of final advice for somebody who either is like in this in-between phase with their niche or is in this in-between phase with their website? Just any like words of wisdom that you would give someone who's kind of stuck? Yes. If you're in an in-between phase with your niche, stick with it. I think it's going to take a little bit to educate your people that you're looking at something new. You know, I know I shared that I had like a 650% growth in a year. It was maybe not in the first three months, right? Like it was probably by like I started in 2018 by like August of 2019. I was like, whoa, we've really got something going on here. So it took a bit. It, It takes a bit, especially if you're a newer site. Keep in mind at that point, my site was already three years old. So, you know, Google is out there this like trying to make sure that your website is creating good content. So it takes a minute for them to be like, oh, this is good content. And my second, you know, if you're trying to decide whether it's time for you to do a rebrand, I would, and I'm, you know what, this is a good point too. Even if you're like, oh, is it time for me to leave my job? Is it time for me to do X, Y, and Z or like drop a client? Give yourself a benchmark. Like whether it's like, okay, when I hit, 100,000 page views, I'm going to do this. When I hit this amount of revenue, I'm going to do this and hold yourself to it. Because like you can say for years, so I really want to rebrand my site. I really want to rebrand my site. I want to invest that money. And then like something else is always going to come up that you're going to be like, oh, well, like I should probably do that there. Once you hit that benchmark, do it. That's what I did. I said, you know, by the end of 2021, I will have this in place and I will be able to do this. And then it got tricky. Like this year, I've done a lot of other things. My husband left his job like <laughs> to work with me. So it wasn't maybe necessarily the best. Like if looking externally, you're like, oh, maybe I should just like pocket that. But I think when you know it's an important strategy in your long-term goal, you have to make that benchmark and then hold yourself accountable to it because it's never going to get done. But it could be the thing that gets you to the next level. And I think this will be for me. I have some pretty significant goals for the rest of the year and there's some things that I need to do, but I think the rebrand will really further those efforts. So that's my advice. I love it. And if, if nothing else, it at least is not something that's weighing over your head is like this thing no. that you need to do and fix and having that same kind of like, I can't go to this event or I can't show up for this thing that I want to right. do for my business because I'm embarrassed about like where I'm sending people. You exactly. have the, the, the storefront now to send people to that is amazing and beautiful and organized. And so I love hearing that. Um, we absolutely just loved working with you and it's just been a great experience. And I hopefully by the time this episode comes out, we'll have even more like information to share. Yes, for sure. But I have our PM bump. Yes. I have very good (laughs) feelings that it's all going to be in the positive and I can't wait to see what this next fall is like for you with this with your seasonal niche and all of that so thank you so much for being here and for chatting it was so much fun to just be able to chat which is why we went a little bit over but there's also just so much wisdom that you have to share just over the years of food blogging and I just think you have a really unique perspective of thinking of it like a business so I wanted to make sure we got to touch on that too so and don't hide that I mean yeah don't shame yourself for being business-minded it still means you can care about your people so and if anybody is listening to this and they're like oh my niche I'm afraid please don't feel hesitate I'm on Instagram a lot I love being in my dms so send me a message I would love to yeah yeah so that's kind of the last thing is how can people like check out your website how can they connect with you where is the best place to do that Yes. Well, my new website, um, missalliskitchen.com. Um, if you Google Allie Dorn or Miss Allie's Kitchen, I will come right up. And then I'm on Instagram at, at miss.allieskitchen. And I love being on TikTok. I'm at Miss Allie's Kitchen there too. So those are the places I hang out the most. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here, Allie. It was so great to have you. Thanks, Madison. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to screenshot it and share it with a friend. You can tag me on Instagram stories at Grace and Vine. For the show notes for this episode, head to thevinepodcast.com. Talk soon.